Welcome to the MindBeat podcast by Effective School Solutions. I'm your host, Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm your co-host, Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. The MindBeat podcast is the definitive source for all topics related to school-based mental health, from sharing best practices to highlighting innovative school districts to keeping track of legislation. MindBeat is the go-to source for educators and administrators looking to implement a mental health care continuum. Together, we can make a difference in school-based mental health care and in the lives of students, families, and educators. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the MindBeat podcast. I'm Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm Lane Whitaker, Vice President of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. We've got another great episode for you today. Uh, our theme today is the intersection of mental health and student athletics. We have two amazing guests today, Jason Dane, who is a high school uh, health and phys ed teacher in Illinois, and Mike Zito, who is uh, based here in the New Jersey, New York area, who is a sports psychologist and works a lot with uh, children, adolescents, as well as kind of adults in his practice as well. Uh, they have uh, some incredible insights, and we're really excited to talk to them uh, today. How are you doing, Lynn? For sure. I'm good. I'm good. How about you? Good. Not much. What's uh, new in your life? Everything going okay? What's new? Um, oh, gosh. Now I feel like, I, well, I just got back from a very eventful California trip. I'm so glad that I got back right before it looks like Armageddon has hit the whole the the atmospheric coast. river. I Atmosphere. It. That's just well, I, one I part. Not, Have yeah, you heard I, about I, San Diego is underwater? LA is underwater? It's crazy. Like it, the I, whole coast. I do not yeah. love the destruction, but I do yeah. love the term atmospheric river. I atmospheric a, river. I just feel like yeah. it's a... It's a I read too that there's sea foam on the cars. It's all part of this weather system that now there's foam everywhere. At first I thought it was snow from the pictures. I'm like, it's snowing there too, but it's sea foam. Yeah. Like it's really some strange things going on out there. And I, I don't think they're done. Now they were calling for tornado watches in uh in LA, that's wild. Yeah, they're saying it's like <laughs> a one wild. like a one in a thousand year storm, which is that's uh, wild. which is just really crazy to see. It's in I think yeah. it's an El Nino year and yeah. all these weird kind of weather things. Hope everyone's safe and, out there. But but yeah, I had a, a, a really um <laughs> eventful trip. It was really successful, I think. Uh, and that was good. It was good to get a little sunshine before they are not experiencing sunshine now. <laughs> uh, that, that just got back from that last week. So that's probably the most new thing. I'm going to a Sixers game. I won't bring up any more Philly sports, but I am going to a game this weekend. So it's tomorrow. been a dark, a dark start to the new year. We just shouldn't, we shouldn't talk <laughs> just about it. So. Over yeah. Do you, do you have any New Year's resolutions that you'd like to share? Like uh, uh, any, any, uh, yeah, just to be more consistent with my exercise. Like th there have been times in my life where I'm like for a couple years, I'm really, really consistent. And then I kind of fall off. And so I just want to be more consistent. I know it's one of those things that it's hard to get started and hard to talk myself out of getting up early to go do my walk or run, whatever it is that day. But I never regret it when I'm done. Or there's something about like earning that morning shower where you're like, I, I really earned this. Yeah, <laughs> I did yeah. something already before I even got going today. Um, so I just made a promise to my, not even like with any real fitness goal in mind, like I'm, I'm happy with my weight and stuff right now. Just I know it's good for me. I know as I'm aging, I need the cardio. I know that it helps with my mental health. So just trying to be more consistent with my exercise. Got it. Got it. Good stuff. How about you? 
Yeah, I, I think the, I think the standards is yeah. kind of trying to eat healthier and kind of be healthier and, yeah. and 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 whatnot. So I've been I've been trying to think through like, um, uh, and you and I were talking about this before, but I'm kind of like looking. I almost have like a meat lineup where I think about <laughs> I think about different like proteins and yeah. like what is their rank order in terms of uh-huh. of healthiness. Like how would you? I, I would probably go like fish, chicken. Mm-hmm. Pork, I think pork for health or enjoyment. Uh, for, I think for health, health, for sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I really do enjoy seafood. Is probably my number one food group, anyway, or meat group, if you will. Uh, so yes, love seafood. We agree that's probably the healthiest. And they say what chicken, and then would you put yeah. chicken and pork? Is pork actually the well, other white meat? I mean, one of the great one of the great one of the great branding say. campaigns of all time. That was like thirty five yeah, years the other ago. White meat. Yeah. I still remember from when I was a kid. Like, oh, pork, I definitely the do other, that the commercial. Yes. I don't know if that's true or not, but I will say that's probably my favorite meat. I would put it above chicken, uh, like, you know, seafood's king. And then um, particularly like shellfish. I love crabs. I just, that's something I did this weekend too. I went to um, my girlfriend's birthday and she had like a seafood party. We had a lot of Maryland blue crabs, which is my death row meal. Yes. It's my last meal on the planet. I want it to be a seafood platter. How do you feel about a crab cake? You have crab cake? Oh, yes. Very good. But I prefer... To yeah. have like if I was offered the choice, I would sit all day and pick crabs. It's a social thing. I know some people go, oh, I don't have the time or it's so much energy. I'm like, I could happily spend hours upon hours sitting around with a bunch of friends, family, having a beer and picking open picking blue plate. Yes, yeah. blue yeah. crab, blue claw crabs. Yes, with I mean, lots cra- of old bay. And the crab cake. The problem is like if the meat to breading or the meat to filling ratio is off. It's got to be, be mostly lump crab meat absolutely. and not a lot of breading. I do like it like pansy. I don't, or broiled. Oh, yeah. I don't like it like deep fried. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I have to have a little like I make a sauce. It was my mom's sauce. It's like hot sauce, butter, and lemon. You make that little concoction. What's so not, good. What's not to like? So it good. Sound, it sounds fantastic. <laughs> you got to get the ratios right, but it's really, really good. Yeah. The, ni- the nice thing about pork is the other white meat and kind of like if you if you are going to put pork and chicken on a level playing field, <laughs> then, by the, then by the transitive property of yeah. nutritional value, that means bacon is equivalent to chicken. <laughs> That's right? okay. Which so bacon kind of makes I, everything better. Bacon is yeah. king. Bacon is like anything. You can add bacon and avocado, anything. It's an instant upgrade. Um, um, and it, especially those two together. So when you said, can we put chicken and pork together? I'm like, well, maybe if it's like the right cut of pork. I'm not sure that all pork cuts fall into that category. I'm not sure bacon makes it. But for people who like bacon and like their kale or their Brussels sprouts, yeah. um, those are fat soluble vegetables. So you actually need a fat in order to get the nutrients Absolutely. from that's, those things. That's, that's, so like, what I, that's what I tell myself. So bacon's, so, yeah. I feel like it kind of makes it more nutritious. Yeah, I'm not getting the nutritional <laughs> value. So, so the way I look at it is like if, if chicken and a lean pork chop are uh-huh. basically the same nutritionally, yeah. then then therefore like therefore. bacon is equivalent <laughs> Bacon or like a like a pulled pork sandwich is a cool one I'm with one you too. on that. I'm totally to co-signed on that. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. And uh, look, I tried to do the alternative to pork, like turkey, bacon. I'm like, stop calling. That's, like that's it's terrible. turkey. It's terrible. It's, it's crispy be, turkey. I don't. Yeah, I yeah. can't even get down with it. I mean, I don't even like it as a as a whole different thing, let alone a substitute for bacon. But. Stop calling it bacon, please. I find yeah, it I, I, Like Starbucks has like a turkey bacon sandwich. It's like mm-hmm. turkey bacon egg whites. It's like the it's like the nutritional version of their right. horribly unnutritious like breakfast sandwich. Right, right. But it's like not worth it. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather have the real like thing this. in moderation. That's how I feel about sugar too. You got it. You got I it. mean, I still want real regular sugar. I don't want monk fruit and stevia and all that. But I'll just do it in moderation. I think everything in moderation is okay. Have you ever seen a monk fruit? Do you know what it actually looks I like? I don't know. I'm what like, monk I'm at, is it a real thing? Does it grow no, in a tree? It is a real thing, but I I couldn't spot it out of a fruit lineup i couldn't does it have a relationship to a monk does it like i don't know it looks like a 
You know, it's I'm got, not sure with the back. Okay, we have a picture pulled up. No, I would not be. So able we're looking. To, at I would so, not recognize that yeah, if it were right we, in front of me. I would not know. Like, what, what's a, or, like a monk's haircut? They've got like the ring of oh, hair and it's bald on the top. So maybe that's kind of what the if, with the for our is. viewing audience, you should Google it. But it looks like uh, like a nut, and then you open it up, and it's like. Uh, I don't know, like a... Sometimes you feel like a monk. Sometimes you feel like <laughs> a nut, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, you have to look it up to kind of see. It, they look kind of small like a walnut, but I, I, you can't tell if it's like a fleshy substance in the middle. But monk fruit, I don't prefer those alternative sweeteners. Um, I will say this too. I'm all about vegetables. I love vegetables. Um, but I don't like when, when like if you're having something vegan and they tell you that it's really a vegan crab cake when it's cauliflower and some kind of fake cheese. I'm all about cauliflower. I grew up on cauliflower. Like I know it's having a moment now, but I always had that as part of my diet as a child. And I'm cool with just some cauliflower with some type of cheese or fake cheese, whatever, but yeah, don't just, tell just me it's a crab yeah, cake. Then mentally cauliflower. I'm expecting all they're doing, it's a crab cake and yeah. that is clearly not, a, now I'm pissed off and I can't enjoy it. So like, can we do something about, call, make up a new name for these things that are like, you know, a fake crab cake or fake chicken piccata or whatever. Just call it something it's different. A, it's Don't have old, me compare it in my mind to the real thing. It should be an old bay cauliflower cake. There right? you go. That's what it something. Is. That's what it is. You got call the breading, you got the cauliflower, you fry it up. Don't have my mind mouth watering for a crab cake and it's cauliflower. Yeah. Like that's a real disappointment. And I'm, I'm just, I'm turned off by fake meat, right? Like yes. it, it's kind of like the, the whole kind of like yes. beyond burger. I, Impossible I the, and yeah. all that. Yeah. I'm yeah. not into it either. Is that bad that we're naming? We're like, we're like oh, sorry. Uh, slandering yep. brand name. To all to all of you listeners, who enjoy Beyond Tofurky Burgers and, and uh, <laughs> Impossible Burgers, we see you. We, we see we, you. We acknowledge you, and 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 all good. Have enjoy, at it. Enjoy to that each his own. plant based uh, plant based meat. This is so. just how we feel. We are just two people <laughs> just sharing our own preferences, our meal preferences. But I can I can totally go like a week or something without meat and do vegetables. Like I said, I just don't appreciate the substitute thing. It's, totally. It upsets me. <laughs> we should jump in. So why, yeah. why don't we uh, why don't we jump into our agenda for today? Yep. And uh, why don't you kick us off with our top three? Our top three, um, our top three today is top three ways to get over the winter blues. So uh, my first one is lace them up. I think. I think we talked about maybe the last episode that I kind of get a little bit of seasonal affective disorder because of the the light or lack of light and all that. So what I do find, as I mentioned earlier, trying to be more consistent with this to improve my seasonal affective disorder, is just get outside. Even if it's just for 30 minutes, if you're taking a walk, if you're taking a run, even better. But even um, walking just for 30 minutes, getting some level of sunlight, even if it's an overcast day, just getting that fresh air makes a huge difference. Um, really improves mood. Uh, depression, just getting that cardio again, that fresh air. There's so much, uh, the mindfulness of it. You know, they say that the runner's high and for walking, there's a meditative aspect. Number two, don't become a hermit. I think it's really easy during the winter time to just be like home in our jammies by 4 p.m. and not really want to, you know, socialize. And, you know, if somebody cancels on us, we're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm already half changed and in bed. Right. So I think you need to really make an effort to still be social, even if you're an introvert and this is your season. Uh, I think that there's that oxytocin rush that we get from being around people. So, you know, make a lunch date, do something indoors, uh, but don't be a hermit. You still want to maintain your social connections and get that boost of oxytocin from being around friends and family. And then finally, I would say gratitude, mindfulness practice, whatever that is for you. But um, when I'm feeling the winter blues or blues anytime, really, it could be in the summer too. 
I think if you just start thinking of like three things that you're grateful for, whether it's that day or in general in your life, it starts to quickly multiply. And next thing you know, your mindset has changed. You start to realize, well, I got a lot of good stuff going on for myself, actually. Um, and, you know, my nurtured heart approach, uh, you know, mentality is that there's always something going right. Even when it looks like everything's going wrong, there's always a silver lining if you look for it. Um, and then I would just say, even though that's the top three, if you start to realize that this is more than seasonal or this is more more than the blues, that it's more consistent and um, taking more of a toll on you. Always seek a professional uh, uh, help if you're feeling that way. Uh, but that's our top three for today. Thanks, Wayne. That was, yeah. uh, that was great. Let's jump into uh, In the News. And the news article that we're going to highlight today is entitled Report, colon, mm -hmm. Schools Won't Recover from COVID Absenteeism Crisis Until At Least 2030, which is super concerning. Just, I mean, the headline kind of like really summarizes the yeah. entire article. This highlights two separate studies that really require a hard pivot in terms of the degree of emphasis that I think as a system we're placing on chronic absenteeism and school refusal. If you remember, we had a, uh, a great, great speaker yes. uh, a couple of episodes ago who talked yeah. about school refusal. Would encourage everybody to go back and listen to that uh, to that episode. Um, and legislators are really starting to uh, to get involved here uh, as well. So the you know the nationwide levels of chronic absenteeism, particularly at the extreme level, and there's a really powerful graph here uh, from 2018 to 2022. 2018, there has been 10.7, there were 10.7% of school districts that were experiencing extreme levels of chronic absenteeism. That number is up to a staggering 38.7% mm. uh, this year. And extreme chronic absenteeism refers to 30% uh, of uh, students or greater that are experiencing chronic absent absenteeism. So uh, really, really concerning. Something we're hearing a lot about in the school districts uh, that we work with. I think yeah. every Every conversation that uh, you know I have with a superintendent or someone uh, within a district is referencing chronic absenteeism, high rates of uh, of absences, kind of with with students. And I think there's a lot of a lot of drivers to this. I was speaking with someone yesterday who, you know, we were we were talking about whether kind of the um, the the uh, disruption in the rhythm uh, that has come from parents and caregivers working from home has maybe sent kind of like almost kind of like the wrong signal to young people. In other words, if you're a young person um, and it was, you know, 20 years ago and mom and dad uh, got up every morning and kind of went to work, you kind of have those habits and that structure and that pattern routine. kind of imprinted on you with respect to the routine. And now I think our young people don't see that kind of as, yeah. as much. And there's a lot of great, great you mean things. You stay at about, home working? Is that what you mean? Uh, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, if, if now all of a sudden you're not seeing yeah. your parents kind Get of leave, out, yeah. leave the home, does it maybe, uh, uh, it means that that structure and that rhythm is not as much that's a, good a point. part of your I life. I don't know. Totally yeah. hypothetical really kind of on my part, but I think it's interesting to, to think yeah. about some of that. And so. I think a lot of it has to do with anxiety. Um, 100%. A lot of it is anxiety, a school-based anxiety, not even necessarily school-based, could be about other things, but it's exacerbated by going to school. So, um yeah, it's a national epidemic. We have uh, Jordan Katz on staff, who is a brilliant clinical mind and sort of our expert in this area. And um, it is astounding how big of an issue it is when we talk to districts. Um, but she's very clear on how much of it really has to do with anxiety. Um, you know, it's not just that kids don't want to go to school. It's Absolutely. really difficult yeah. for them. So. Well, why don't we get to our guests and uh, yeah. why don't you uh, introduce uh, our guest for today, Lane? Will do. 
So our first guest is Jason Dane. Jason Dane is a health and physical education teacher at high school in Illinois. He's an active member of several professional organizations, and he's presented at numerous conferences at the local and national level discussing a variety of health education topics. In addition to his teaching responsibilities, Jason has been an assistant football and baseball coach at the high school level for over 25 years. Thank you, Jason, for being here. Our next guest is Mike Zito. Mike D. Zito, Ph.D., is a licensed psychologist in New Jersey and New York who has practiced clinical, sport, and performance psychology for 30 years with children, adolescents, adults, couples, and families. His sport and performance clients include professional, Olympic, collegiate, high school, and youth athletes. He taught university courses in clinical and sports psychology for 14 years, authored seven book chapters, and is presently a consulting sports psychologist and clinical supervisor for Rutgers University. Dr. Zito has 15 years of youth coaching experience with soccer, basketball, baseball, and softball teams. Where does he find the time to be with us today? This is quite a resume. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with us. Thanks, Mike and Jason, for being here. Great to see both of you and uh, just really excited for the conversation today. I'll, I'll go ahead and get things started and, and may, Mike, maybe start with a, with a question for, for you. Um, I mean, I think any of us who are parents, any of us who have young people in our lives, I think see the uh, maybe the pressure that has increasingly come with kind of youth sports and with student athletes over the past, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how long, multiple decades, I feel like at, at this point. What is it about the demanding nature of being a student athlete that you think really kind of impacts the, the mental health of, of young athletes in particular? I think uh, broadly speaking, there's been a significant increase in the professionalization of youth sports. It gets year-round stuff, pressure to perform, pressure to make elite teams. All that stuff is is stressful. Um, so the stress also is uh, connected to the multiple roles that an athlete has to play. Got to be a student, got to be an athlete, also got to be a friend, son, daughter, boyfriend, girlfriend, all those different roles. And that's tough. Where do I put my effort? Where do I maximize what I'm trying to do? Is it for academics? Is it for uh, my athletic endeavors? So it's really, it's a stressful endeavor. And it really, it really gets tough on them. Where do you emphasize? And if you don't manage this well, you can struggle with anxiety, depression, anger management issues, self-esteem issues, and certainly eating disorder issues. Mike, and also, you- we say that parents put a tremendous amount of pressure on them. I, I had a um, I have this uh, vision of a high school basketball player, female, who made a decision she didn't want to play in college. And at the end of a session, the parent walks in, holding a, a, a list of a, a paper with a list of schools she must contact, which are Division One, and she says, "Dad, I don't want to play." No, you got it, you got it, you got it. So, who is that for? Not for the girl. Mike, when you look back over your career, do you, I, I just, I reflect on when, when I was a kid many, many decades ago and like these elite teams didn't really exist. I mean, do you feel like, was there like a seminal moment or like an inflection point where this professionalization of youth sports really kind of began or is it just kind of impossible to pinpoint? Well, I would say approximately speaking about 20 years or so. So when, uh, you know, I hate to say, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> the dinosaurs are hanging out. Um, you call your friends up, you go to the field and you play baseball, basketball, whatever you do. Now it's all got to be organized. I think it's the interaction of many, many different things. 
news items are very negative. They scare the bejeebers out of people. So now everybody's got to, everything's got to be done in organized adult supervised. And that leads into all this professionalization stuff. There's also, uh, in the late 1960s, there was a self-esteem movement that sort of started in California. And that self-esteem movement was well-intended. It was to say, you did a great job at this. We're going to pat you on the back. Way to go. It's morphed, and I'll say about 50% of the people, it's morphed into, you're the best, don't let anybody tell you you're not. And what we've developed is a great sense of entitlement. So we have tons of kids thinking they're going to be handed D1 contracts, pro contracts, et cetera. And it's perpetuated by the system right now, but also parents have bought in and really pushing their kids. That's uh, problem Mike, thank you so much for that. Uh, that some of the things that he just uh, spoke about in terms of managing all of these different things for an athlete, Jason, I'd like to get your take on it. How? Uh, what is your take on the unique challenges that student athletes face in terms of balancing academics, athletics, and their mental health? Sure. You know, I think Mike alluded to the fact that there's so much going on. And one of the biggest challenges for student athletes and adolescents in particular is just the time piece and time management in particular. So they're wearing different hats. They have different roles. They want to excel in all these different areas. And then when you add the demands of not just the athletics piece, but also the demands of the academics piece. Uh, for many adolescents, it just becomes really hard to manage. And I find that, you know, comparing oneself to others has really, really become common. And, you know, whether it's keeping up with the Joneses, you know, this family's joining that club or this particular group of athletes decided to work with this trainer. Um, there's this pervasive feeling now that if you look around and you're doing a lot of comparison because that's what adolescents tend to do, they tend to measure themselves um, against their peers, um, then there's this feeling of, I have to do this. I have to do this. And they did it, so I must do it. And if I don't, I'm missing out on something. And if I'm not very good at something and I'm not keeping up, then perhaps I'm not good. And that's where you get into some of the, you know, negatives in regards to how one, you know, has difficulty managing the mental health. And as a coach, this is where, you know, I've really tried to dive into um, this concept of controlling what you could control. And it's, it's hard, not just for the student athlete, but sometimes for the parent, you know, just really taking a step back. And, you know, Mike alluded to the self-esteem movement and the, hey, you did a great job movement. And that's not necessarily a reality, you know, in today's world of competitive sports. So really trying to focus on, you know, having a student athlete controlling what they can actually control, realizing that there's going to be several things out of their control and that's okay. And that becomes, you know, just one way that they can manage this balance between the academics, the athletics piece and the mental health piece. Thanks, Jason. 
Mike, next question for you um, is really about kind of stigma. I think over the past two or three years, I think it's been really notable to look at, you know, a lot of prominent athletes and prominent stories in sports where uh, athletes have maybe been more open about uh, the the challenges uh, with mental health in in their own lives. What do you what do you see as the state of destigmatization right over over time? Where do you think we are on that on that journey? And and what do you think has maybe driven athletes to be a bit more open about this and in, in, in kind of recent years? I think the high profile athletes have done a huge positive thing for mental health as well as athletes in general. And there's a great emphasis when I talk to all my fellow sports psychologists at all levels, uh, professional to a collegiate to, um, you know, just being in the general population, we see a greater acceptance. My, uh, my demand has grown incredibly quickly. And I'd say in the past 15 years, uh, the number of athletes coming in uh, dealing with mental health stuff is really probably quadruple. So it's good that there's an access for it. And so it's being emphasized at the professional levels, collegiate levels. In fact, the program that I'm involved in at Rutgers University happens to be at their, one of their D3 campuses, which is unusual. Most of the money spent at the D1 level. And the program, I'm supervising interns um, to, with teams with the goal of referring the athletes to the mental health care. So it's very unique, and it's sort of very forward-thinking and ahead of, ahead of its own time. So there is emphasis here to really, really uh, move that in that direction. Do we need more? Yes. But we're That's moving. fantastic to hear, though, that we're, we're moving further along. I don't remember that being a topic of conversation when I was a student athlete, <laughs> um, you know, our mental health. So I, I have um, a question, uh, two questions. So one is, you know, I think about my experience as a student. I played field hockey from like middle school through, you know, D3 in college. And I felt like I did the best academically when I was in season, like having the discipline, having the camaraderie with my teammates. Um, just there was just much more discipline, like when you had study halls and stuff that you're going to get homework done. So I found even days where I was like, I the last thing I want to do is go to practice right now. But when I would get to practice and run that first lap and warm up, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. And I would get right into it and feel great. Are there some benefits to being a student athlete? It sounds like a lot of the you know, we're talking about a lot of mental health issues that come with being a student athlete, but what about some of the benefits of being an athlete uh, during your school years, um, socially, mental health wise, um, just character wise? So I think there, are, there, there are clearly a lot of benefits in, you know, Lainey rattled off a couple of them. Um, I mean, it is proven in regards to an in-season athlete and academics, um, the structure that they have while in season, the routine, the time management, all really good positive characteristics that seem to be more common when an athlete's in season. And oftentimes we will, as a staff, know some of our student athletes that we really need to keep an eye on when the season ends because they might not be jumping into another sport and that's where if they're losing the day-to-day -day, they're losing the you know connections they're losing the physical activity uh, that's where you see um, some of the negatives occur um, just in, in, in part of being a team the connections, the rewards, the boost of self-esteem, you know, and 
for football in particular, we have a very large program and our varsity football roster is close to 80 players. And the reality is you might see 20 to 25 varsity football players get on the field at any given time in a game. But you have these other players that are there at practice every day and they want to be part of the team. They want to be with their friends. They want to wear the jersey on Friday night. They want to wear the warm up in school on game day. (laughs) And when you look at adolescence and in particular adolescent development, so much of what an adolescent is going through during the high school years is the identity piece and finding their identity. And sports is a very positive way to have a student athlete feel connected to something. If I can add to that, I think uh, what uh, Jason said makes a lot of sense. Um, I think life skills through sport, that's what we benefit from. And we have to emphasize that because too many people think they're going D1 pro. (laughs) Numbers are just, if you look on the NCAA website, I have the the numbers from the recent uh, 2020 numbers, and it's infinitesimally small. And Division One does not always mean money. Well, also, too, I just think about like I was my father's a coach has been a coach forever and he's 71 now still coaching basketball. And we were just talking about last night uh, about some kids who are not starting and how they're like really, you know, even parents like, why isn't my kid starting? And um, I think about when my son wasn't starting or when I was started as my freshman year of college, I was used to always having been a starter. And suddenly I had seniors and juniors in front of me and it didn't discourage me. It made me go, oh, by midseason, I'm going to be starting, which I did. (laughs) So what is the difference in the mentality between someone who wants to step up when there's that kind of adversity going on versus people who just go, woe is me, or maybe this isn't for me or um, because that seems like a a mental health, you know, issue as well. That ability to have optimism Mm. and also the growth mindset. Growth mindset basically says uh, if I, I can work hard at everything that I am, all the different identities I have. And I work hard at it. I can get better. So whatever the sport is, if I can work on the skills, right? When I work with athletes that aren't playing, I often say, all right, so ask for feedback and then actively really work at that. The key to success is effort. Yeah. More effort you put in, the better. Now, Jason mentioned before about identity management. I want to just jump in on that as well. Um, Identity management can be a major stressor, right? So... I, I worked with a recent professional soccer player who came in one day totally stressed. I said, what are you stressed about? I'm a soccer player. I got to perform. Now, wait a minute. You're a person who plays soccer. Mm. You're also a son. You're a cousin. You're a boyfriend. You're a friend. You've got more things to yourself than just that. So identity management can be very helpful. So we got to just define this as a broader uh, sense of self, not specifically sport. And that can reduce stress and be helpful just to keep things in perspective. We realize we're learning a lot about life through sports. So Mike, that's a good good transition to next question. And kind of question, I'd ask each of you to, to kind of reflect on this, but you know, identity management sounds like a you know, one one form of kind of strategy and coping mechanism for um, you know athletes that you that you talk to. What are other strategies and coping mechanisms that uh, the two of you have seen as being crucial in in helping to promote the mental health of young athletes in particular? 
Uh, maybe Jason, start with you. Sure. Um, so I feel like number one, just having a strategy and recognizing that clearly it's not going to be one size fits all. So what might work for one athlete might not necessarily work for another athlete. Um, you know, and looking at managing things. Um, when you look at physical wellness, and if you asked an athlete, what are some things you need to be at your peak to perform at a high level, they'll rattle off a lot of the physical wellness components, you know, get proper sleep, you know, have proper nutrition, stay hydrated, um, you know, have strong social connections, you know, things where you look at overall wellness. And what I would do then is take those same things and frame that as mental wellness. You know, you need to be doing some of these same things to manage and cope with, you know, some of the mental health components. And I always frame it as mental wellness. So some things that we've done in the past, whether it's visualization techniques, um, deep breathing routines. Uh, one thing that I recently discovered that I really um, have found success with is um a routine reset. Um, it's, it's kind of a ritual and, um, Dr. Cassidy Preston, uh, mental performance coach who I follow has a great book on mindset and really the premise is, okay, you're not feeling too good about what's going on here. Let's have a reset. What's your routine going to be? And I've seen, uh, girls lacrosse teams, um, write a mantra on their stick. And after a poor pass, stop, take a break, look at the mantra, say the mantra. I've seen basketball players, you know, on the side, checking with the coach, walk down to the end of the bench, grab a drink of water, take a few breaths, then come back. Um, I had one of my baseball players when I was coaching my son in feeder, this is when they were uh, 12, who um, one individual really, um, you know, had trouble after a port bat, in particular strikeout. And his kind of reset routine was, I'm going to say I'm going to flush it. I'm going to walk to the end of the dugout. Um, and then that actually morphed into us getting a team plunger. And <laughs> now everybody on the team who needed to flush something <laughs> would take the plunger. Nice. And that just became the reset. So really trying to find a strategy, a coping mechanism, um, but like anything, yeah, then have to practice it. And the best coaches that I've had a chance to observe and learn from build those strategies into practice routines so that it isn't just a flip the switch. Oh boy, we're in the heat of competition. You need to go do your thing. I'm I'm so excited that you said this because I'm known as the resident reset lady here at ESS. So um, <laughs> you're speaking my language. I love it. You're also reminding me of like I've heard Steph Curry say in many games when he goes through shooting slumps like most shooters do. And I think we can arguably say he's like the best shooter of all time. And he'll say that he shoots his way through a slump. I, I, I just don't believe that there's anybody better than me. I'm going to I'm still a great shooter and I'm going to shoot through this. And um, I wonder if that he uses some of those strategies you're talking about those reset strategies. If you see a plunger on the side, I know not the next Warriors game, right? So I'm going to yeah. be looking for it yeah. now. Um, yeah, I've actually worked with some baseball teams that have actually put toilets in the dugout. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whatever works, you know. The flush it philosophy I use with all my athletes put put basically put it behind you. Yeah. And Jason mentioned something before, which is control the controllable. Hugely important. 
mm-hmm. and certainly managing your mindset. So we're generally at our worst when we focus on past or future events. We think negatively or we hyper-focus on outcomes. Mm-hmm. Now, while outcome seems to be the goal of sport, at the point of performance, it's destructive. What you have to do, so I would work with an athlete, part of the reset can also be, you got to get yourself to the present and to the process. Mm-hmm. Process is how do I execute my skill for my sport? And that's going to vary from sport to sport. What am I doing now, present, process, how do I do it? Again, never overthinking. Find one, maybe two things you focus on and execute, and then you execute. So redirect attention is a good strategy as well. In addition to um, you know time management, which is something that's very very helpful, and and doing non-sport activities, just go do something for fun. Mm. Oftentimes, it includes with their peers, social and mix up. Yeah, it's interesting, Mike. I'm kind of reflecting on my my own like, you know, limited middle-age athletic activities. And you've just explained why I can play tennis and go up like 4-1, get really excited about being up 4-1 and then immediately drop the next five games. So I think you just kind of, it's, it's almost kind of like, it's like removing the stakes from it and just maybe focusing on the inputs, not the outputs. Seems like kind of what you're describing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very classic in golf. When I work with golfers, I tell them, do not keep score beyond just each hole. You don't add school score until 18th hole yeah because what typically happens is about the 14th hole you go wait a minute if i par out i can get this score and, and inevitably the bomb yeah because they brought their attention to the outcome stay focused on the process how do i you said tennis for you uh, yeah 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 so stay focused on you know uh, racket foot preparation yeah, because the, the self-talk is very predictable. You're up 4-1 and then you lose a game and then you're, you, it starts creepy and you're kind of like, wow, this is going to be atrocious if I blow a 4-1 lead. And then that that kind of affects the next game and it kind of snowballs, right? So it's uh, you know finding yeah. a way to break that cycle, I think, for any athlete has got to be has got to be huge. Yeah, so for yourself, get back to the process. Okay, I'm glad we've turned this into kind of a sports psychology <laughs> session for me, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Where do I send the? <laughs> yeah, send the invoice at any time. You know, so do you take checks, uh, you know, Visa, yeah, Venmo, okay. whatever. So we'll go Venmo. We'll go Venmo. Uh, I'm curious, what in both of your opinions, what do you think like are the long term effects of um, of neglecting your mental health in this way when you're an athlete, um, and and how can we raise more awareness so that people do seek help when they struggle with their mental health? If you want to go? Sure. Um, so in terms of long-term and, and some of the challenges, you know, and I'll kind of start just by sharing some of the short-term and really getting a student athlete and adolescent in particular to understand that the mind runs the body. And if the mind isn't well and clicking on all cylinders and the body's not going to get there. Uh, so often, you know, a student athlete might neglect uh, mental health and, we know how important it is as adults just to maintain a healthy lifestyle um, in, in terms of, you know, the long term consequences, you know, and I, I'm sure Mike has had, um, you know, several experiences with some of, you know, the clients that he works with, um, but student athletes that I've seen um, just if it goes unattended um, in regards to recognition, coping strategies, practicing those strategies, um, ultimately, 
it just becomes more difficult for that student athlete to function in any area, to function in the classroom, to function on the field, to function in social relationships. And what we have tried to do with our student athletes is really start with um, a recognition piece, you know, having students recognize what are some of the signs and symptoms if they're struggling with a mental health issue, but also empowering their peers and their teammates. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not uncommon for an athlete to come up to me and say, hey, listen, I'm a little concerned about so-and-so. He just seems a little off. Here are a couple things I'm observing. And once you could get there, and I think that speaks to a little bit of what Mike spoke about earlier, earlier just you know, destigmatizing the topic um, that can help uh, offset some of the potential long-term consequences. Thanks. Mike, anything you'd like to add there? Well, I think there can, there can be some moderate effects and there could be some pretty significant effects. Certainly burnout, overtraining, injuries. Um, that could Stress is the number one psychological predictor of injury because you have distracted attention and your muscles tighten. So those are some things that can happen. And you also have to be careful of look out for signs of substance abuse, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, listen for suicidal ideation, commentary, all that stuff needs to be dealt with. And I like what Jason said before, educate, mm-hmm. awareness at all levels. And I think certainly the coach athlete. People, certainly teachers, the whole system, athletic directors, anybody involved should be given ideally some psychological first aid training. Again, just to recognize some warning signs. They're not going to treat the person, but they're going to get them to the right services and also know what are the services available and make sure everybody knows what that is and how they access it. Sometimes it's in the schools, which is good. I know ESS provides a lot of in-school stuff. Um, and in addition to having a referral list for nearby the school and the community, so just building that awareness about kind of the 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 web of resources that's that's out there um yeah so so just just to just to wrap up and kind of final question i love to pose to both of you mike maybe we could start with you and then jason move to you in in whatever level of detail you're comfortable with are there any inspiring stories that you'd like to share of student athletes who have overcome mental health struggles and what lessons can be kind of generalized and learned from their experiences to help others going through um, similar challenges. Um, Mike? Yeah, so I can share one. I had a skater in the, in the Olympics. And when she came to me seven months earlier, she was falling apart. Major anxieties, just non-functional, not enjoying the sport at all. So then we worked together, and it is a, I operate systemic. So I work with her as an athlete, but I also went to the training program. And to find out what's going on there, I wanted to know what are the relationships, one amongst their peers, amongst coaches, and understand that environment. And what we find is that the um, Olympic skating environment, and you could probably reflect on some movies you've seen, it is nasty, high-stress environment. So I had to go in there and try to begin to make some dents in that and help the coach, the training coaches, understand what this athlete needed and then also work private in my office to work on the mindsets. Um, and the big thing, when she, when you have anxiety, all anxieties start with negative predictions about upcoming situation that you confuse with a conclusion. Meaning if I think it, it's automatically true. The problem is, 
the thought. And then we, we jump to that and we think it's, it's going to not go well. And then we either attack, we approach it very cautiously, our muscles tense up, or we're not successful. So uh, by working on that with her and using a lot of visualization and deep breathing, and we got to the point of um, about a month or two before the Olympics, um, we only did visualization. We imagined her short and long programs over and over and over until she really, really had it. And she was able to perform to her capability. First of all, she made it to the Olympics and then performed to her capability at the Olympics. Jason. Uh, making a big jump from a uh, Olympic level athlete to the high school football player. But, um, you know, one player uh, that I worked with um, jumps out, you know, in terms of um, just being inspiring. And he was a three-year varsity player for us and was dealing with some mental health issues off the field. And what really sticks out was his comfort level in sharing with both myself as an assistant coach and our head coach, um, what was going on. And I think that speaks the importance of coaches building relationships and just working and finding time to build strong relationships. So this player in particular, and we could kind of see um, some things that were atypical in terms of habits and another player approached me and just kind of shared some concerns. So it took a while to get there, but ultimately this player opened up with some of the struggles and some of what was going on and we just asked a lot of questions as coaches but really listened uh tried to determine um what he needed from us what outside support he was getting and if he wasn't getting the appropriate support how could we help with that another question we asked was who else on the team knows about you know, what this individual is dealing with, um, because sometimes a student athlete might want to keep it to themselves in the small circle. And sometimes they're very forthcoming about what's going on. And then just asking, you know, this individual, can we check in with you? Because occasionally student athletes who are dealing with mental health issues just want you to know, and that's it. And sometimes student athletes dealing with mental health issues, want you to know, but they want some sort of, you know, check-in and they want, you know, a little more attention. So we worked with supports. The student athlete was getting off the field, social worker at school, a private family counselor. He was seeing outside of the school day. Uh, he was going to miss a little bit of practice. And we as coaches were okay with that. And we understood that. And we just, again, really focused on, get your mind in a place where everything else is going to feel good. As I'm in a school here and we're uh, passing period, so we'll edit the bell out. Um, one other lesson that, you know, I just kind of wanted to share, and this was almost impromptu was high school baseball player who um, talked to me about severe anxiety and he was getting a lot of treatment off the field and working through a lot of things in regards to um, coping strategies. And uh, he was a pitcher in particular, which sometimes is the worst spot on the baseball field for uh, someone who's, you know, dealing with severe anxiety. And he had a bad game. It was a particularly bad game. And I'm watching him out there and I wanted him to kind of grow through this and learn through some of what was going on. But after every bad pitch or bad call, I could 
sense of body language and facial expressions really changing and ultimately affecting his performance. And after the game, we talked a little bit and I said, Hey, you know, this is kind of what I'm seeing. How are you feeling? You know, here are some suggestions, you know, perhaps when things aren't going well. And I kind of talked about the reset routine and he said, coach, that's exactly what my counselor said I need Mm -hmm. to be doing. (laughs) And that to me was inspiring that the comfort was there that we can make the connection of here's what I'm working on away from my time with you. However, these skills can be strengthened now that you know, and you know that it's something that I should be working on. Thanks, Jason, for, yeah. for sharing that. I mean, to both of you, great, amazing stories. And Jason, in, in particular, I think what you're describing, I think, is kind of like a real uh, something that kind of maybe goes counter to the media depiction of kind of a coach and the mm-hmm. culture of a of a high school kind of athletic team. So just a lot of a lot of credit. I can only imagine that like 60 years ago. Right. That was you know, we, it was it was not a lot of the conversations taking place between coaches and athletes that you're describing now. So just thank you for being part of that change. That's really incredible to hear. Thank you. For sure. And I think oh. I think emphasizing the powerful role that coaches have. Mm-hmm. I think Jason, you're talking about. You need to be parent, you need to be counselor, you need to be motivator, life skills coach, all that stuff. So it's great that you're doing what you're doing, and it's fantastic because what's gonna happen is your your athletes are gonna call you back five years from now and say, How you doing, coach? Uh, you know, at a, at a birthday or a holiday. And that's probably the best definition I've ever heard of success as a coach. There's a baseball coach uh, from New Jersey who once told me his definition of did he make an impact is during a holiday or birthday, it was his graduated teammates call or text and say, hey, coach, happy birthday. That's powerful. So yeah. we need to empower coaches. And Jason, feel good about that story because you're doing it. That's okay. certainly good stuff. So true. I think very highly of my uh, all my coaches, but particularly my college coach too. Shout out Jackie Neary. Um, so I we ask all of our guests as we kind of wrap up here. I could talk to you guys about this all day. It's really interesting. So our wrap up question that we ask all of our guests is: What's in your mental health uh, go to when you are feeling stressed? Um, you know, some people like to do yoga, meditation, journaling. What what works for you too? I'll start. Uh, for, for me in particular, um, just getting moving. Mm-hmm. So being a health and physical educator and just promoting wellness and lifelong wellness, uh, any movement activities, and it could you know vary by the day. I'm fortunate enough that my office at school is about 15 steps from our weight room. So it, um, certainly the convenience factor is, is a big thing. But I would say any type of workout and then also... Um, just working to strengthen social connections. You know, I'm very lucky to have strong connections within my profession and and within my family and just, you know, maintaining um, strong social connections is kind of another um, wellness type strategy. I would say ditto to Jason's approach, active, really go back to all the sports played as a kid. Which is part of the value of sports, right? You're gonna when kids graduate college, you can call their friends up. Hey guys, let's go down the field and play whatever the sport happens to be. That's hugely important. Now, if I could just add a last comment there. In this conversation, we also need to think about parents. Parents have a powerful role to be helpful and not so helpful. I just did a recent uh, workshop for parents of soccer players at a nearby elite soccer club. And one of the things 
I always do, and I find this is to be the most damaging aspect of parental behavior, is the car ride home. Yes. yes. After the event. Yes. So what the, the, the thing I get parents to agree to is the 24-hour rule. Mm-hmm. Do not have a conversation about game or practice for 24 hours because that conversation is not going to go well. And what I find is it relaxes my athletes mm-hmm. because with 10 minutes left in the game, I'm thinking, oh, my God, how's my parent going to – what they're going to say in the car on the way home? So now they have one less thing to focus on. They're focusing on, on the sport that they're supposed to be focusing on. So we need to educate parents, help them understand how, how they can be helpful and some things that may be in – appear to be well and uh, uh, helpful, but they're not not in the end going to benefit the child and make them feel a lot worse. That's good advice. I may or may not be terrible about that, so I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely right, twenty four hour rule. Twenty four hour rule. Starting starting now, moving forward. Right so exactly. <laughs> Mike and Jay says is awesome. Really yeah. appreciate both both you guys and everything that you're doing, uh, uh, and the the insights today. Incredibly uh, interesting. And uh, Mike again, send me the send me the invoice, and we'll uh, we'll settle up with you, right? So your tennis game have to improve before you uh, yeah. send payment. I, I, that, you know, I, I I would pay good money for my tennis game to improve for sure. Okay. So. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm spending enough money on lessons right now, for sure. So uh, thanks, guys, to both of you. Really Bye, appreciate everybody. it. Have a great uh, rest of your week. Uh, Lean, uh, what inspired you this week? What inspired me? So I was just on the phone with my dad the other day. I'm very close with my father, and he has been a coach, a uh, basketball coach. Also, uh, he coached um, tennis at one point. He's coached quite a few sports, but primarily basketball. And um, at 71, he's still coaching and has now decided to go back. He was a teacher for many years as well, retired, I think, in 20. 20- 14, 15, forgive me, dad, if I don't remember the year, but, um, he's back now as a substitute teacher and he's, you know, we are talking so much about the mental health of the students in school right now. And I'm just so, um, impressed by him because he's such an amazing person, has so much to offer. And I'm just really glad that he's decided to give back in this way. And he keeps talking about all these different kids that he feels like he's having an impact on. And I just think it's really beautiful um, that I think it's mutually beneficial for him and for the students he's working with. So that inspired me to hear him talk about that yesterday when we were on the phone and how much it's having an impact on him as well. That's awesome. That's that's great. Yeah. So I, I, I think for me, I think I, I had mentioned before that my daughter was uh, like in a, in a school play. She was like the lead in the in the Little Mermaid. And so that, that happened two <laughs> weeks ago. And, and it was it was great. She was great. I think it was a really kind of good, good experience. Uh, I don't I don't have like a, I don't my, you know, we, we, we we're not really a hugely like athletic family. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't have the equivalent of like one of my kids like hitting a home run in the big game or something like that. But this was kind of the, the play, equivalent yeah. from like a theater standpoint. So but what really what really inspired me was kind of the the teamwork and the experience that all these kids got to have kind of together. Um, Like, and and to me, it went beyond anything I had ever seen kind of with respect to, you know, a sports team, the way that they kind of relied on each other, the way that they had to, you know, it was like two nights. It was not like a seven show type of run, but the way that they had to like pull together for this like high stakes moment, I thought was really, really cool. And and fifth grade is just such a great age because it's kind of like- Pre-middle school. No, and and it's just like, it's it's like pure, authentic, (laughs) like joy in kind of doing- this stuff, or at least yeah. that's how it appeared to me as yeah. kind of like an adult and a parent in the audience. So that was that was a really uh, she fun. She may have discovered kind of, a passion too. This well, may totally. be the first of many. That's Absolutely, cool. yeah. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. No, all, I used to all. do community theater. It was so much fun. I know what you're talking about, that camaraderie between the backstage people, your director, the anyone from who's a, a smaller role to the bigger roles to dress rehearsal. Like it's all people who are doing the set design. Like it's all really cool camaraderie. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Blaine, great to see you. You too. Uh, thank you to everybody who Thanks has joined us for another episode of MindBeat. And uh, we'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. The MindBeat podcast is a production of Effective School Solutions. MindBeat represents the opinions of Duncan Young, Lane Whitaker, and their guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or your local health care provider. Thank you.